Hello and welcome to the Beijing to Britain podcast with your co-host Sam Hogg and Steve Lynch. We aim to examine and interrogate information in the UK-China bilateral, speaking to key policymakers, thinkers and individuals in this space. In each episode, we'll discuss the recent events, activities and happenings between the UK and China, what that means and what's going on with some experts, as well as look at some parliamentary output. Well, I've got to say, Sam, uh, while you've been away in Taiwan, you really missed the big UK-China news. Don't know if it's because you've been away, but this is this is pretty groundbreaking. Edinburgh Zoo is returning two giant pandas uh, back to China after ten years alone. Now, I know panda <laughs> diplomacy is very close to your heart, very close to your heart. So, what can we actually read into this? Is this a sign of good relations, bad relations? It's a great question, Steve, and I'm, I'm glad you asked because, as you may or may not know, I am the UK's preeminent expert yeah. on panda diplomacy. Apparently, my one my one sentence takeaway is it's too early to too early to know, Steve. We'll it's have too to see what to develops. It's too early to tell. Okay, right. Let's get serious. So, um, we're, today's episode, we're just going to get into Taiwan. Um, obviously, Sam is out there in Taiwan in Taipei. You're at a conference. We kind of want to dig into the general Taiwan China issue and where the UK stands in in all of this. So uh, Sam, over to you, kind of what's your first impressions? And this can kind of be anything, you know, your first impressions in, in, in Taiwan. So it's my first time back in Asia more generally in, in five years. You're, I mean, obviously you do realize how much you miss it, but when you're here, it's just phenomenal. Not that I'm being sponsored by them, but shout out to 7-Eleven. What an unbelievable chain of, uh, of supermarkets. And they have the addition here of having places you can eat inside the 7-Eleven. That is a one-up on Hong Kong. So very impressed by that. So you're Taipei really itself living the is... high life then, Sam, if you're 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, we're smashing that, that Beijing to Britain budget right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, aside from that, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. So I spent a bit of Sunday walking around in a sort of jet-lagged haze and ended up walking into a political rally, a DPP rally, with these booming drums and chanting in the streets were absolutely chock-a-block full of people swagged out in different gear, lots of flags, lots of Team Taiwan bomber jackets. And, uh, you know, this might not come as a surprise to many of our listeners who are in and out of Taiwan very often, but there's like this palpable, almost like electricity around the democratic civil society stuff here that I haven't sort of seen in the UK in a while. That was, that's been really exciting. And, and more generally, like, it's just very beautiful. As I was saying, you know, I'm now looking out to my left over beautiful jungle and mountains and we're going to a night market tonight, all the sort of stuff that I used to sort of semi-do in Hong Kong. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm, yeah, it's, it's an amazing place. I think we went out there maybe six, seven years ago and my first impressions was, mm. yeah, there was a sort of electricity to the city. I really noticed that English literacy was a lot higher you know, there was a lot more people that just did speak English. Now, obviously, that's easier as a, as a, as a foreigner going to the city and exploring. We were definitely there just for tourism. So we hit up those night markets and uh, and focused very much firmly on the food. But yeah, I, I definitely got the sense there was a bit of a buzz to the city that you actually quite often do get in, in lots of Asian cities, um, I, I certainly feel. So. Mm. so let's get a bit more serious then, Sam, into some of the more challenging questions around Taiwan. Let's probably start in the most recent activity, which has happened between Xi and Biden. Xi once again clearly outlined his ambitions for Taiwan, uh, looking for a peaceful reunification uh, with the Chinese-claimed island of Taiwan. But if conditions were not right, force would be used, is, is kind of some of the language that he's used. And then who knows what will happen. So kind of 
what's kind of the general feeling on the ground when we're kind of talking about these sort of bigger geopolitical challenges? Obviously, we've got the US strategic ambiguity if anything like that was to happen. But on the other side, we also have Nancy Pelosi, I think six, seven months ago in Taiwan. And then there was missiles firing right the way over the island, right the way around the island. So I had dinner with a couple of teachers, uh, like uh, Taiwanese teachers earlier on in the week. And I asked them, you know, to, to what extent is this hanging over you the whole time? And they said, look, you can't, you just fundamentally can't live your life uh, with that in that permanent state of sort of perma-anxiety. Um, so obviously we're very aware of it, but it's not for, at the forefront of our mind the entire time. That being said, um, there is a bit of a concern I'm picking up around the with the election happening next month around Chinese interference in, in the sort of democratic institutions here and in the democratic system. There's been a couple of reports, even during the time that I've been here in Taiwan, around disinformation and edited clips flooding on TikTok against the DPP, the leading party. And, you know, I think it's really difficult because the Taiwan and Taipei, even in my short time here, I've been really... Um, not surprised, but I, I knew it was the way, but it's really confirmed the view that this is a democratically vibrant, exciting place that is very different from sort of the mainland China uh, approach to politics as it currently stands. And so without trying to forecast um, and downplay or overplay, it's it's clearly a concern that's a front of mind for a lot of uh, the campaigning here as well. And obviously for people here too, but it's a shame. I, I do find it a shame that Taiwan is often mentioned in terms of like, what about the potential invasion, the Chinese invasion of Taiwan, rather than just seeing Taiwan as, and being able to talk about Taiwan as this amazing place that it currently is, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and again, I go back to my time there, you know, that was one of my first questions to some of the people on the ground is, you know, how can you live your life when you've got missiles pointed at you? Well, you, you just carry on <laughs> in simplistic terms, but you know, you have to. So probably a few months ago, we had Thompson Chow on the podcast to give us an initial update on the Taiwanese elections. So that's we're now a few few months further down the line. Is there any kind of insight you can give us on these elections? When are they and what might potentially come out of them? So that the elections take place in January and we're really in the sort of thick of it at the moment here. Lots of media is covering the elections, covering what each candidate is saying what the, the two major parties, the DPP, which is the current governing party, and the KMT, which is the op, the main opposition, are talking about polling, as I understand it right now, has the DPP uh, narrowly winning next next year. But that's anyone's guess. I don't think it's, I don't think in prediction terms, you, you, one would be as comfortable predicting that as they would be predicting a Labour win back in the UK, for example. And there's been interesting stuff in the papers here and online media about how different ages feel about the issues, different demographics. Is it too much foreign policy? Is there not enough focus on domestic policy, et cetera, et cetera? All the sort of stuff that's quite interesting if you're a bit of a political wonk looking into that sort of stuff too. And, you know, I, I think one of the really useful lessons to draw out from the sort of Taiwanese election of the coming weeks from the UK perspective, given we've got our own ones coming up potentially next year, is to what extent is social media being used to try and pump in disinformation or voter apathy or just just like just try and tweak democratic uh, norms at large uh, and you know Taiwan has an incredibly impressive 
uh, sort of technological front. They have an amazing minister here called Audrey Tang, who, you know, both you and I know, Steve, one of the leading minds on sort of technology and AI and stuff like that. Uh, and I hope, and I, I suspect this is the case, that people in the UK are taking a good look at how Taiwan deals with these issues over the next coming weeks, and we can start to take some lessons back into the UK sphere as well. You've mentioned that quite a few times, actually, the sort of disinformation around social media. The UK just held the AI Safety Summit, which was challenging and combating some of these risks specifically around AI disinformation. So how big of a worry is that? From the UK perspective, the the issue is quite abstract and quite hard to put into terms that I think voters understand. And not just voters, but even just like the wider policy space, because when we had stuff like Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, the big scandals of like the last decade, we eventually got to the point where we could work out why that was so important and why that was so damaging. But there's really difficult questions around things like TikTok, because whereas Facebook is an American institution that's controlled by an American company, TikTok is, is it would say it's not related to the Chinese government or to the Chinese sort of state in any way. But I think it's a different kettle of fish. And as a result, this is our first major election we'll be having where TikTok is a a primary news source for a lot of the young electorate and B, has an algorithm or algorithms that aren't particularly transparent. And so what does that mean for, you know, you and I? It means that if I go into my TikTok feed and it's two weeks before the election and I see 15, 20 videos a day of either like the opposition or the prime minister making a fool of themselves, that, you know, is that... Is that technically breaking the rules if it's like a slightly clipped video or is it what I'm trying to say is it's very abstract, very hard to understand. Whereas, as I understand it here as well, some of the interference and sort of uh, efforts we've seen involve like clipped Taiwanese media uh, videos and also stuff trying to say that if the DPP win, the US will become more active in the region and, you know, will be trying to look to rile up like chances of war, etc, etc. So... Lots, lots to learn from the next couple of weeks and lots to look out for ahead of our election too, I think. One final question on the election. When, do we, when is it? <laughs> when do we get the results? Because we've got a big year next year, 2024, with democratic elections. So it's Saturday the 13th of January is when they go to vote. And I'm not entirely sure whether they have a sort of exit poll like we do, but I, I think imminently around that period we'll, we'll know whether the DPP have retained uh, the government position or whether the KMT have, have beaten them there as well. That and, that and that kicks off a year, as you know, Steve, we spoke, spoke about this before, but that kicks off a year of massive democratic elections. You've got ours, we've got America's, we've got India's. I think there's something like 2 billion people are voting in a democratic election next year, which is actually, taking a step back and from the doom and gloom, really quite remarkable. I mean, we talk about de- democratic institutions being on the retreat, and that, that's a fair enough criticism, but just, you know, to think 100 years ago that you'd be able to say that 2 billion people are voting in a year is it's just quite remarkable. So where does UK stand with Taiwan? I think we saw last week UK and Taiwan signed an enhanced trade partnership where trade currently sits at around 9 billion bilateral between UK and China. So where do, where do we stand as a, as a nation with, with Taiwan? So there's been a concerted push to get more involved with Taiwan. They have some fantastic industries here that mirror some of our own. So there's a massive offshore wind market here and you know, really uh, deep and sustained push from the UK government and Taiwanese government to work more closely on that. There's been like various expos that have brought together expertise and sort of industry leaders in that regard. Same thing for education. 
Uh, same thing for semiconductors. If I recall correctly, uh, we had a, a semiconductor expert group come and visit Taiwan and sort of learn some stuff here. You've seen trips from politicians out here. So we had the Foreign Affairs Committee came to visit last December. Liz Truss obviously came to visit herself after um, leaving Downing Street. Uh, the Foreign Affairs Committee published a, a pretty big report over the summer, which basically called for the UK government, in as many words uh, as I'm paraphrasing here, but to take the issues around Taiwan more seriously and to create some better strategy around that stuff like that. So, and, and I think more generally, Taiwan has come up the agenda as an item that politicians think about into like a top three item with regard to China as an issue. So that's all fantastic stuff. And you know, there was talk about as well about um, replacing the Confucius Institutes. In, in the UK with like Taiwanese equivalents, having Taiwanese expertise come to the UK and teach the language to students uh, at university and school level. No, nothing as far as I can see is materialized yet on that, but something to keep an eye on definitely. So look, obviously, Steve, last week we had a fascinating conversation around COP28, which has come to a conclusion. What um, what are the highlights and what are the things that you've, you've taken away from it? So I think, as we discussed last week with our myth-busting podcast with Callum. COP28 mm. is a two-week negotiations. So I've been tracking quite a lot of what's been happening so far. There's been an enormous amount of activities from business and from government. From a UK perspective, I think all of our leaders were out there. And when I say all of our leaders, we had Rishi Sunak, the, the Prime Minister. We had Keir Starmer, the, the Labour leader. But for all intents and purposes, to many people, the incoming Prime Minister. And we also had the, the, the King, King Charles, gave a very impassioned speech with Greek flags on his tie to, mm. to, to an audience which was very, very well received. I think what's interesting, uh, and certainly I see this from a UK perspective, is just the difference maybe in standing or opinion when it comes to climate change on a global stage. Um, obviously, the impression is that Rishi has reversed quite a lot of our uh, green economy policies. Uh, whereas Keir's pushing and the King is certainly pushing for more of a green agenda. So it's just quite interesting. I don't know what the, the world's impression of the UK is at the moment, but I can imagine if it's mixed in the UK, it would be mixed globally. So, you know, I just think that's interesting, something to flag. On the China perspective, I do think it's quite interesting. Again, they've been very busy and you can kind of see that from some of the activities that, that, that have been taking place. We discussed last week that China's outstripping any country in regards to investments in renewables. But the big problem is they're still doubling down on dirty energy, specifically coal plants. So, you know, mm. we've still got, you know, over a week to go in regards to negotiations of what might come out. But it's it's certainly been interesting watching because, again, lots of activity has been taking place in this last week. Look, you know, if I could take you away from Dubai and bring you over to the United States, actually, talking about the UK's sort of global uh, footprint, our new foreign secretary, although he's no longer that new, actually, is as we speak touching down in the United States of America, where he is meeting his sort of counterpart, Anthony Blinken. And in the press release the government put out, there was a mention of China, that the, U the US and the UK would be working together to sort of deal with the challenges of, of China that China presents, which again is not uncommon in the sort of press releases we see from both sides on this issue. But also what happened over the last 24 hours is that David Cameron has spoken to Wang Yi and uh, the pair addressed issues like climate change, apparently. Unfortunately, we have very limited readout. At this moment, um, the only readout we actually have is David Cameron firing off a tweet, which is a bit informal, personally, but <laughs> what can we do? Maybe to jump in on that, Sam. So so David Cameron, um, as we're recording the podcast, uh, December 6th, will be in Washington, D.C., meeting his counterparts. 
Do you think it's any coincidence that he's had this conversation with China before he goes out? I don't know. I don't know. If I was to speculate, I would say that was not a coincidence, but that is just speculation. The, the big point of his visit to the United States has nothing to do with China, actually. It's more about Ukraine. It's a Ukraine-focused trip. But because U- Ukraine fundamentally is related to wider issues in, in the region, the, the China element too, and because fundamentally the way that foreign policy works now is that almost every issue is in some way related to China on some level, uh, it, it's, it's not, in my view, a... Uh, in coincidental timing, if that makes sense. But I think it is it's Cameron's first trip to the States since he's taken on his new role, although not his first trip abroad. He's been very busy, actually, uh, all over the shop. Although, you know, I am refreshing every single day his register of interests. And as of yet, unfortunately, there is not an update. We get a little a sort of uh, to be confirmed. So we should have that sooner rather than later, I hope. Okay, thanks, Sam. So from Washington, D.C., we've been in Taiwan Dubai with COP and now we're going to head to Manchester uh, because last week there was quite an important meeting with the Chinese Chamber of Commerce in the UK. They launched their sixth China-UK economic trade forum and this was supported very heavily by the Chinese business community, the companies that operate here in the UK. It had major Chinese government support. The ambassador, Ambassador Zhang Zeguan, the Chinese ambassador to the UK, was there at the report launch. We also had Ren Hongbin, who's the chairman of the CCPIT, which is the Chinese Council for Promotion of International Trade, but a very important figure in the trade relationship for the UK. But we also had Lord Johnson. Uh, We've spoken about him before. He's the Minister of Investment, essentially calling out and supporting some of the welcomed initiative and investment into the UK, specifically around infrastructure of offshore wind um, and clean energy, where the UK and China can cooperate. We've spoken about that before. That seems to be an area that's greenlit in regards to collaboration. I think all sides emphasised that there's synergies in high value and green sectors, and that's where we really need to be pushing and working together. That avoids some of the harder issues to talk about and really pushes into some of the, let's just call it greenlit, spaces that the UK and China can operate. China is the UK's fourth largest trading partner. Um, In regards to bilateral trade, it's around £110-£115 billion sterling every single year. And there's a big investment into renewables. Uh, we, we've spoken about China leading the world in regards to that at COP uh, and in, back, in, back in China. So there is an opportunity for the countries to collaborate there. And I think both sides wanted to really push that point. So I, th- I thought it was interesting. I briefly read some of the coverage of the CCC UK report. It seems to have been more positive than the, the most recent one beyond that, which had quite a negative sentiment. Uh, a lot of that was politically driven in the sense that they felt the political environment here, political landscape was a bit difficult. I, I have the view still that Chinese FDI is not a priority for the government at all in the UK. And that, in fact, when you see the readouts from the South Korean trip to the UK, there's lots of talk there about you know South Korean uh, sovereign wealth funds and sort of similar state-backed institutions and huge companies taking an active role in investing in the UK. And that's a massive win politically and commercially for the UK too. It gets to show they're diversifying away from China, bringing in and sort of strengthening the partnership with, the, with, the, with South Korea, et cetera, et cetera. That all being said, the fact that we can still have our Minister for Investment go along and talk about bringing in investment in these like as you say green lit areas excuse the pun obviously given what they're talking about is is interesting you know and we'll see what comes of it because i as far as i could see there weren't a huge number of mou signed or anything sort of committed officially but just lots of very positive rhetoric around that issue 
we, we've seen how the, how important rhetoric is in regards to the bilateral relationship. So the investment minister speaking and certainly just focusing on areas of collaboration will be welcomed from the Chinese side, I can imagine. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably right. Um, you know, let's just see what comes of it. Let's see if there's anything. I mean, as everyone knows, we're due an election in the next 12 months. Uh, how much sort of strategic thinking is going into anything right now? Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that, that's, that's anyone's question. But look, Steve, I'll be back in the UK next week. We won't be doing a jet lagged call. We'll be in the same time zone. And I really look forward to speaking to you then. Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Go and enjoy Taipei. Go and eat as much food as you can. And we'll speak next week.